Hello everyone and welcome back to the History of Middle Earth podcast where we dive deep into the history of Middle Earth. My name is Phil and I will be your guide to today's adventure back to Middle Earth. And man, is it good to be back. Sorry for that little unannounced hiatus. It was unplanned, but we are coming back and should be able to get some episodes out a lot faster at better intervals for you all. This episode is brought to you by Ezra Kirk. To start us off for this week in Middle Earth history, today, July 23rd, is when Thorn and company ride through the grasslands just to the west of Mirkwood. Tomorrow, the 24th, is the day that Bilbo first sees Bayorn for the first time. Next day is when Gandalf and the company of dwarves approach the west edge of Mirkwood. And the following day, the 26th, Gandalf departs Mirkwood, and that starts the dwarves' journey through the evil forest. Alright, now for the main topic today, Gandalf. Despite what is recorded in tales throughout Middle-earth, little is known about Gandalf and who he is exactly. He is also known as Aurorin and many other names which we'll go through later. Old Elvish journals say he came from the west at the end of the 10th century in the Third Age and had the appearance of an old man with long robes. Some scholars believe his appearance was a contributing factor in getting others to take heed of his advice. Of the five Astari, he was the last one to arrive in Middle-earth. Gandalf was immediately perceived by Círdan as the greatest of them. Because of this, and knowing Gandalf would need it in his upcoming role as a Maiar, which are the immortal spirits who served Valar in the Undying Lands, Círdan gave Gandalf Narya, the elven ring of fire, knowing he would use it for the good of Middle-earth and the Free Peoples. Gandalf was the Maya of Manwë and Varda, and also served under Irmo and Nienna. When the Valar decided to send the Astari to Middle-earth, Manwë and Varda chose to send Gandalf. Manwë sent Gandalf to strengthen him and his courage while he would be battling Sauron's forces. Gandalf was forbidden by the powers from challenging Sauron directly, However, it didn't stop him from battling his servants and allies. Gandalf was sent by Galadriel to investigate a possible necromancer in Dol Guldur. This is where they learned about Sauron's return and his plan to eventually retake Middle-earth. After being cast out of Dol Guldur by Gandalf and the rest of the White Council, Sauron retreated to Barad-dûr. After completing his quest, to find Thorin and convince him to retake Erebor and help the dwarves regain their strength that they once had, Gandalf and Thorin put together a company of dwarves to start their journey. Gandalf also took a keen interest in a small hobbit named Bilbo Baggins to use as a burglar for their natural ability to move around unnoticed and very stealthily. Mithrandir. Why the halfling? I didn't know. 
Saruman believes that it is only a great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I found it is the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of kindness and love. Why, Bilbo Baggins? Perhaps it is because I'm afraid. And it gives me courage. Gandalf escorted the dwarves across Middle Earth before leaving them before the woodline of Mirkwood. He was then later reunited with them during the Battle of the Five Armies. After the end of this journey, Bilbo and Gandalf would remain great friends and eventually come to know Frodo Baggins. Later, leaving a note for Frodo with Barlaman Butterbur, an innkeeper in Bree, Gandalf left for Isengard to speak with Saruman. Once there, however, Gandalf discovered that Saruman wanted the One Ring for himself and declared himself Sauron of many colors. He tried to convince Gandalf to either join him in service to Sauron so that they could eventually control the Dark Lord and thus achieve good ends, though through evil means or to help him find the One Ring so they could take the power from Sauron. Gandalf refused and was held prisoner at the top of the Tower of Orthanc. He eventually escaped thanks to the help of Gwaihir the Eagle. Gwaihir then set Gandalf down in Rohan, where he asked King Theoden for a horse. Gandalf chose Shadowfax and rode for the Shire, but arrived too late since Frodo and Sam had already left. Knowing that Frodo would be heading for Rivendell, Gandalf began to make his own way there. Shortly after arriving in Bree, Gandalf learned that the hobbits had already began tra traveling to Rivendell with Aragorn. Subsequently, Gandalf was confronted one night by Sauron's Nazgul at Weathertop. After a prolonged battle with the Ringwraiths, Gandalf was able to eventually escape, though four of the nine Nazgul pursued him. After reaching the Mines of Moria with the Fellowship, Gandalf was the only member of the Fellowship that could have fought a Belrog. Belrogs were also of the Maiar, so could only be killed by one of equal rank with a similarly noble weapon. Without Gandalf, the Fellowship would have come to an abrupt end in the Dark of Moria. Gandalf fell into the depths of Moria, and, the, and they plunged into a deep lake in the depths of the mountain, which Gandalf later said was cold as the tide of death and almost froze his heart. They fought in the water until, finally, the Balrog fled into dark tunnels, for the world is gnawed by nameless things, older than even Sauron. Gandalf pursued the creature until it led him to the spiraling endless stair, and they climbed it until they reached Durin's tower in the living rock, Zirakzigo, the pinnacle of the Silvertine above the clouds, where he finished off the Balrog and then died from his wounds. Three days later, he was found by Gwaihir, the Lord of the Eagles, who had been sent by Galadriel to find him. Gandalf was carried to Caras Galadon in Lothlorien, where he was healed clothed in white, and thus became Gandalf the White. From this point on, no mortal weapon could harm him, and his new strength and power was more than enough to defeat Saruman, who was chief of the Order of the Istari.
During his 2000 plus years with the peoples of Middle-earth, he was constantly traveling. He covered up north from Arnor to the deserts of Harad in the south, hoping to get them to stand up to the Dark Lord. His welcome varied among the races. Elves loved and respected him, men were more ambivalent and knew his power and schemes, and among the Haradrim he encountered fear and even hostility. The Red Book states that the light in his eyes danced with the spirit of one who was greater than those he walked among. Despite Gandalf's skill with a sword and staff, his wisdom and knowledge were his most, most lethal weapon, which is that what the Astari were created to share with others. Gandalf used a two-handed longsword called Glamdring, a Sindarin word meaning foehammer, that once belonged to King Turgon of the Noldoran Elves. Glamdring was some of the finest craftsmanship of the elves since it was made for a king. After the fall of Gondolin, the sword had disappeared and turned up thousands of years later in a troll horde. Gandalf found the sword and claimed it for himself as a new weapon for his adventure with the hobbits. Glamdring had small runes inscribed in Sindarin that when translated read Turgon King of Gondolin wields, as and holds the sword Glamdring, or of Morgoth's realm, hammer to the orcs. This was actually a strengthening spell that protected the user's hands during a blow or parry. This was also a large help in Gandalf's battle with the Balrog. The hand grip was fashioned from a piece of wood and covered half the tang. Over this was placed brass wire, curled into rings, and over that was tightly wrapped a rectangle of wet leather that was dyed blue. This was then tunnel stitched into a cylindrical sheath that had that held it all in place. The sword then had a large pommel to act as a counterbalance. The perfect craftsmanship and balance of Glamdring allowed Gandalf to wield it with one hand if the need arose. Gandalf kept Glamdring all through the War of the Ring. Although he left Rivendell when he visited Saruman during the council after finding out Bilbo had the One Ring, he then permanently left it behind when he sailed into the Undying Lands after the war. It is believed that Glamdring was kept as an heirloom in Mirkwood, but later passed to King Elisar and was stored in the Minas Tirith's treasure vault. Four years after the ring was destroyed, Gandalf spent some time with moss gatherer Tom Bombadil. Then, after having spent over 2,000 years in Middle-earth, departed with Frodo, Galadriel, Celeborn, Bilbo, Elrond, and presumably Shadowfax, across the sea to the Undying Lands, and was never seen again in Middle-earth. Some other names you may have heard Gandalf go by is Olorin, his name in Valinor, and in very ancient times, and it comes from the Quenya Olor, or Olos, meaning dream. The name could also be spelled as Olorian. Mithrandir, his Sindarin name, used in Gondor and by the elves, and means Grey Pilgrim, from the Sindarin myth, meaning Grey, and Ran, meaning Wonder, or Randir, meaning Pilgrim. Tarkun, given by the dwarves, which means Staff Man. In Canis, a name of unclear language and meaning, he must have acquired it the name from his many travels in the south near Herod, but is guessed to be translate to either meaning grey mantle 
a word Indicano meaning cruel ruler, or even from Southron meaning spy of the north. Old Greybeard, which he was called by the mouth of Sauron when they met at the gate of Moranon, the White Rider, when mounted on his great horse Shadowfax, Stormcrow, a reference to his arrival being associated with times of trouble, often used by his detractors to mean he is a troublesome meddler in the affairs of others. Last Spell, which was used by Grima Wormtongue, Gandalf Greyham, the Grey Pilgrim, Gandalf the Grey, and later Gandalf the White after he is reborn as the successor to Saruman, or just Gandalf the Wandering Wizards. And there you have it, the history of Gandalf. We do have a question this week, and it comes from Drew D. Yes, so after the destruction of the One Ring, who or what is the biggest threats to Middle-earth that would have come close to pre-ring destruction level chaos? By the way, I love the podcast. I'm always late going back to work for my break listening to it, lol. Well, thank you for your question, Drew. And first off, I don't want to be... <laughs> I don't want you to get in trouble for listening to the podcast. So maybe keeping my episode short is a good thing. But... I'm really glad you love it. <clears throat> but anyway, after the War of the Ring, Sauron's physical body, or his ability to even create one now, was gone completely and undone, destroyed. Or at least what he had left of it before trying to rebuild it with the One Ring. He was cast out into the Void, which is also known as the Outer Dark, or Outer Darkness, the Everlasting Dark, or the Ancient Darkness. The Void is basically an uninhabited region of non-existence outside of time and creation. But at that time, during the Fourth Age of Middle-earth, the Elves had basically all left, and the other races outside of men were dwindling, leaving us with the dominion of men over all of Arda. So, now that a lot of the... it was mainly just men in Middle-earth, and Sauron was defeated. However, you still had a lot of evil forces. Granted, none of them were a... or Valar. Um, so the destruction capabilities dropped significantly. No one was really going to be trying to take over the world again, so to speak. However, as you see, you, we see this in the movie where after the rings destroyed, everything's kind of falling apart. The ground's caving in because there's an earthquake and all this stuff is happening and you see like thousands of orcs and beasts fall and kind of die into this abyss and that's true but you also we also see in the movie if you keep watching it also stops kind of right there at the just past the gate of the Moranon and you see thousands of other orcs that are all running away and trolls and everything so even after the Battle of Pelennor Fields and the Battle of the Moranon, you still had Herodrim in the south, Southrons. You had a bunch of Easterlings chill out in Rune. You had bands of orcs all over the place that were kind of patrolling and just looking for victims. They had no real like objective that they were trying to do or come together and take over lands, really. It was basically just kind of harassing. They just kind of roamed around and killed whoever they could and took advantage of 
whatever they could, but there was nothing really to them anymore. It was just small bands here and there that were still dangerous. If you didn't have any kind of like fortress like Helm's Deep or Minas Tirith or something to take refuge in or just didn't have enough manpower to fight back when you would get attacked by a random group of 50, 100, 500, however many orcs out of nowhere. So while, you know, Sauron was defeated and gone, you still had to kind of keep that watchful eye out and watch your back as if you were going around. You were still very, could very easily be ambushed by orcs or something smaller that was common even before then. And if I remember, remember right, after King Elisar was crowned and he started kind of putting into motion everything he wanted to do, he actually went out to Rune to go after the Easterlings, which the Easterlings and Gondorians were kind of huge rivals. And they went out to Rune to kind of finish off the remainder of the Easterlings that didn't make it to the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Or... And they defeated most of them, and I believe even some surrendered, which is weird and not like Easterlings. They're always trained not to surrender, but I guess when they see a lost cause, because they were so outnumbered by that point, because most of their armies did all go to the Battle of Pelennor Fields, so it wasn't they didn't have much left at all back in Rune. But it was still, again, like the orcs, just more another problem that you had to deal with because you would still have Easterlings out there. And they were even more dangerous than orcs were, so. In terms of coming to that level of destruction, no one was going to, but there was still fighting and war going on nonetheless. That is it for this week's episode. If you do want more content, Check us out at MinasTirithArchives.com. Find us on Facebook at, Minas at History of Middle Earth Podcast. We have a Facebook group or a page. And we are on Instagram at History of Middle Earth Pod. Send in any questions you have through the Contact Us tab on our website, our Facebook page, or to our email, MinasTirithArchives at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you back next time. Until then, I'm your host, Phil, and you're listening to the History of Middle-Earth Podcast. I didn't think it would end this way. End? No, the journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path. One that we almost take. The grey rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. What? And else? See what? White shores. And beyond. The far green country a swift sunrise. Oh. That isn't so bad. <laughs>